If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. And if you put your finger there and then turn over to Luke chapter 8, we will read our home passage as we continue this series on the fruit of the Spirit. And then we'll look at Luke chapter 8, where, where we will spend most of our time this morning. So this is God's word for us, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you, keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you. As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Turn over to Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all awaiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house for he, had had, for he had had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And Jesus went. The people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she, had, that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. 
But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that someone should give, should be given her to eat. Something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what happened. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, this indeed is your word, and we come humbly to submit ourselves to it. We come that you would teach us and train us, that Lord Jesus, you would be elevated in our presence. And by faith, we would come to you and take of you and be healed and be encouraged. And And by your power, you would make us a kind people. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. In 2002, I won tickets to see one of my favorite bands of all time. And some of you know who that is. It's the band Fish. And I won these tickets to see Fish play Madison Square Garden in 2002, New Year's Eve. And early on, as I received that gift or I had won the auction I realized that I couldn't go there's no way that I could afford to travel to New York City and put myself up and another person for two days to go to a concert and so I thought to myself well I've got these tickets why don't I auction them off and so I put them on eBay and the the auction went for seven days and the last day as my ticket prices had skyrocketed people were going to pay a premium for these tickets, I got an email. And the email said this, not very smart, are you? Placing the seat numbers in the auction description. Don't worry, though, I just emailed this auction to fish tickets to rest assured your tickets will never arrive, but will be resold to a deserving fan, PH. I really hate scalpers, especially redneck Uncle Daddy Hick scalpers. Sorry to spoil your payout. Now it's all about the welfare check. Huh. I never forgot that email. Because the minute I read it, I thought to myself, why so mean? Why so harsh? Why so cruel? As you and I have lived through 20 and 20, uh, 2020 and now halfway through 20. 21, I wonder if you've ever asked that question out loud to yourself. Why so mean? Why so harsh? Why so cruel? As you think about our cultural moment right now, where being harsh and mean and cruel at times is actually accepted and sometimes celebrated. Individuals jump to the opportunity to share their opinion, to defend their positions and to express their anger. And there's no thought or even consideration on how they might communicate what they want to say with tenderness or gentleness or respect. There seems to be so much satisfaction in being right or getting it right, controlling people with fear. And on some occasions, deeply sinful occasions, enjoying wounding people with our words so as to get them to be quiet. I have no doubt that many in this room have experienced mean people, harsh words, 
Maybe you have a harsh boss that demeans you in front of your coworkers for your lack of production. And this person seems to think that that will motivate you and imprison you in fear. Maybe you have a difficult parent, a difficult mom or dad or relative that gives, gives themselves license just to say ugly and mean things to you, inflict pain. Maybe you've been the recipient of some anonymous email or personal email about who you are, something on your social media where people don't agree with you. People can be harsh and they can be cruel and they can be mean. But I wonder if you can take those questions a little further this morning as I did. Questions like, why so mean? Why so harsh? Why so cruel? And you add your name to them. Why so mean, Parker? Why so harsh, Parker? Why so cruel, Parker? You see, we're tempted to believe that this culture of meanness or harshness is outside of us. It's out there, but it's not. We too struggle to be gentle. We too struggle to be respectful and kind. We hide behind harsh emails, gossip in the corners. With those that we disagree with, we embrace rivalries and dissensions, fits of rage, strife, divisions. It's not just the world that is mean that is harsh and it's cruel. It is us. We too can be harsh. The church of Jesus Christ can be mean and harsh and hurt her members. And we justify it by saying, well, we're just being ourselves. Or we're standing up for the truth. And yet we have a trail of tears behind us by things we say, how we act, things we think. So what's the antidote to this behavior? What can we do? Well, Luke chapter 8 shows us all about kindness. The kindness of Jesus is on full display here. And that's where I want to take us this morning. This fruit of the Spirit that we so desperately need in this cultural moment can only be produced by Jesus Christ in our lives. And so I want us to see two things. How does Jesus express kindness And what steps can we take to be kind? How does Jesus express kindness? Well, the first thing we see is Jesus moves toward those in need. Look at verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all awaiting him. Jesus no sooner gets off this boat Then he's surrounded by this crowd that wants him, that welcomes him, that's excited that he has returned. This word to welcome means to gladly embrace, to receive somebody with joy. This is a celebration. This crowd is excited that Jesus has returned. And they're celebrating him. This is like uh, the pictures and the videos we see of Certain military people returning from deployment, and there's their family and their kids, and they can't help but embrace and celebrate. Or it's the summer, we send our kids to camp, and we can't wait to get them home and give them a hug and celebrate them. That's the picture that that Luke is drawing for us here. And what happens? 
in the midst of this celebration, this ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, runs out, a Pharisee most likely, runs out and interrupts this whole celebration and pleads with Jesus to come down to his house. He has a need. His daughter, his only daughter, is dying. And he's pleading before this crowd for Jesus to leave this celebration and to come and to be with him so that he, have a, that he might have a need met, that his daughter might be saved, might be made well. And what does the passage say? It says, Jesus went. Jesus went. As you read the Gospels and you understand the ministry of Jesus, he is constantly being interrupted. People are constantly interrupting him in things that he's trying to do, relationships he's trying to build. Jesus' ministry is all about being interrupted. He's always available for those that need help. He never considers his time, his schedule more important than the needs of others. Christopher Wright, in his book, Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit, defines kindness this way. The essence of kindness is being thoughtful for others more than yourself. And it in any particular situation, to be kind means to want to help others, to encourage or confront or comfort them, to do something that serves or benefits them. Jairus didn't drag Jesus to his house. Jesus went, and he went kindly. He went voluntarily. He went because there's a need. There's a need and opportunity to benefit somebody other than himself. And Jesus is drawn to that. Jesus went to help. Kindness that we see manifested here in Jesus is, is those that move toward those in need. Jesus wasn't drugged there. Jeremy didn't drag Jesus into this sanctuary this morning. I didn't drag Jesus into the sanctuary this morning. Jesus is here because he wants to be here. He's here because there's a, there's a family of people that have many, many needs. And he wants to meet those needs in your life. He wants to heal you of your wounds. He wants to encourage you in your faith. Jesus is here because he wants to be here. We didn't drag him here in any way. And some of you need to hear that this morning. There are many needs present in the sanctuary. Some of you need to be reconciled to God. Some of you don't know him. Some of you are here pretending you've shown up because something happened in your life this week and you thought well maybe I should go to church that God might bless me I need to get back into church but you're really not reconciled to God you really haven't put your faith in him you haven't trusted him Jesus is here because you have a need of salvation don't let this day pass where you don't put your faith in him and trust him he didn't drag you here he kindly met you here. Some of us have, need, have a need to be healed. We have all kinds of wounds from our own life. Our marriages, our kids, our own self. And we need to be healed. We need to hear the gospel again. And that's why we come into this place. We don't have to drag Jesus to be with his people. If he wants to. He moves toward, the, moves toward those who have needs. You see, religion is about dragging Jesus to be in relationship 
with us by our works, but the gospel is about realizing Jesus has always been there by his grace. The first thing we see as Jesus exemplifies kindness is he moves toward those who have need. But secondly, Jesus is tender towards those that are unwanted. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house and this crowd is surrounding him and following him down to Jairus' house. And they desperately want him. They desperately need him. They desperately uh, are attracted to him. And it's overwhelming him. Luke tells us that this crowd is surrounding him and pressing in on him. We might not have had this experience over the past year and a half because of the pandemic we're going through, but all of us have been in crowds in places where we feel like we're sardines and we're cramped and people are pressing in on us, whether at Disneyland or Disney World or if you're on your way to the beach and you stop by the Chick-fil-A in Meridian, Mississippi on a Saturday. If you've been there, you know what that's like. You feel like you're just cattle, a sardine squished into this one restaurant to get your chicken and to leave and people are pressing in on you and they're touching you. This is the picture that Luke is painting for us. And in that picture comes this complete, this woman that's in complete desperation. She has a bleeding disease for 12 years. She has spent all her money, everything she has, to fix her ailment and her disease. This story is told in Mark chapter 5 as well. And Mark tells us, That this woman spent all her money on these physicians to heal her of this disease. And they've actually made it worse. She's worse off now. If there ever was an unwanted, undesirable, disgraced person, it would be this woman. Listen to this. She was a woman in the time of Jesus. Which means she was a second class citizen. She didn't own any property. She was property herself. And she needed somebody to take care of her. Secondly, she was dirt poor. She had spent all her money on this bleeding condition. And no doubt lonely and homeless and has nobody to take care of her. Thirdly, she's unclean. Leviticus chapter 15, this bleeding condition would have declared her unclean. What does that mean? It means that she's not welcomed to worship with God, to worship with his people. She's She's banned from the fellowship of God's people. And this is not an issue of things she did. She didn't touch a dead body. She didn't partake of some food she shouldn't have partaken of. No, this is an issue of who she is. She would have been called impure. People would have avoided her. Crossed the sidewalk if they saw her coming. She would have had to walk around saying, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. For how long? Twelve years. Just just think with me for a second. The shame of walking around and telling everybody around you that there's something wrong with you. That you don't belong. And not only that, she's reckless and she's a thief. In desperation, she recklessly enters into this crowd. And every person she touches, that person becomes unclean. And she takes something from Jesus without asking. Jesus says, who touched me? 
This is somebody who's deeply unwanted. Jesus turns to her, turns to the crowd and says, Who is it that touched me? And when he turned around and said, No, somebody touched me. It's like the, the crowd parts ways and there is this unwanted, despised, disgraced woman before everybody. And she's trembling and shaking. She has a quivering lip and most likely tears running down her eyes. And Jesus sees her. And what does he say to her? He doesn't call her woman. He doesn't scold her or chide her. He looks at her and says, daughter. Daughter. You can almost hear the gentleness and the softness of his voice. This is the only place in the Gospels where Jesus uses that tender address to a woman. He is connecting to her at a deep level of acceptance and tenderheartedness. He pierces her shame, her isolation, her uncleanness, and tells all those present, this world looks at this woman as a nuisance, as human trash, something to avoid. But Jesus sees her as his daughter. His daughter. Jesus is unbelievably tender and kind toward those that are most unwanted. Paul echoes this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender hearted. Jesus moves toward the unwanted, he dignifies the disgraced. Some of you need to hear that this morning. And be reminded of Jesus' tenderness. You got out of bed this morning and you thought to yourself, I'm unclean. There's something wrong with me. Why did I do that again? I can't seem to put down the bottle. I can't seem to quit looking at my phone. I can't, think, I can't stop thinking about my body in the mirror. And you need to hear Jesus say, daughter. You need to hear Jesus say, son. Be at peace. You are healed. Your faith has healed you. Kindness is a virtue that causes Jesus to move toward those that are unwanted. But lastly, Jesus protects the vulnerable. We see this clear in Mark's account in Mark chapter 5. But there's a couple of things I want you to see. This crowd is unruly and overwhelming the family. They've now made it back to the house. This crowd, no doubt, is made of the religious types. They would have attended the synagogue that this ruler was involved with. They would have been priests and scribes and, and religious people. And this family is extremely vulnerable because they want Jesus to do something for them that he hasn't done yet. And they're wondering to themselves, did we make it in time? Did Jesus get to my daughter in time to heal her. They were vulnerable to bad news, vulnerable to death and to pain and to heartache. And here comes this random guy, random person, we don't know who it is, and he runs out and he tells the crowd, the woman or this girl is dead. 
his only daughter, maybe his prized possession, Jairus's. And this guy runs out and tells everybody that she is dead. Maybe you've been in situations like this where there's sensitive news to be shared with somebody. Maybe a cancer diagnosis or somebody didn't make it through surgery or we're splitting up. And there's somebody that runs in without any tact, any sense, you know, in a very a lacking any sensitivity. And they just say it. They just say the bad news. And they defend themselves saying, it's just the truth. People need to know the truth. And yet it's hurtful and it's harmful. How you say something is as important as what you say. And this family is vulnerable. And this man runs out to tell them their daughter is dead. And what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? He takes Jairus to himself. Verse 50. That him there is not him, the person that's announcing. It's him, Jairus. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe and she will be well. Jesus comforts him in his vulnerable estate. Secondly, we see him comforting the, the family by pushing the crowd away. The crowd is overwhelming this family. These are professional mourners. These are people that are singing and mourning professionally. It's what they have to do when somebody dies in their community. And they're causing all kind of commotion. Mark says there was a lot of commotion going on. That word for anxiety, stress. And what does Jesus do? He separates the family from them. He realizes the hurt and the harm that they can do to this family. And he lets nobody go into the house except Peter, James, and John, and the mom and the dad. Why does he do that? Because he's protecting them from this crowd. He's sensitive to their needs. He knows that being around this crowd that's unruly, that's anxious, that's stressful, would hurt them, would harm them. This crowd represents anxiety and insensitivity, unruly people. And what Jesus teaches us here is kind people do not exploit the vulnerable. They protect them. Jesus doesn't exploit Jairus and his wife. No, he protects them from the crowd. This crowd seeks to exploit them. And Jesus protects them from that. And why does Jesus protect them? Why is Jesus protective of the vulnerable? Because one day he knows that he himself will become vulnerable. There's one thing that I want you to see at the very end of this passage. Verse 56. And her parents, and her parents, that is the daughter, were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This ruler, or this, this man comes out and says, a daughter's dead. Jesus separates the family to protect them. He takes them inside. And there he goes up to this little girl. He touches her and tells her to arise. And she comes back to life. He does a miracle. Jesus is about bringing life out of death. And he does it right here. But verse 56 is puzzling. If you think with me. How could Jesus ask these parents not to tell anybody? 
How could Jesus say, don't tell anybody that I just raised your little girl from the dead? They're all going to know. It's already been announced that she's dead, and they believe that she's dead. And when she walks out that house, everybody's going to know that Jesus did something. Why does he say that? Because he himself will have to become vulnerable. Jesus asked them not to tell anybody because he knew his time had not come. That crowd that was threatening to overwhelm that family later will overwhelm Jesus. Instead of surrounding a house with commotion and mocking like they did, they will surround the cross. They will scream out, crucify him, crucify him. And they will also mock him as he's hanging on that tree. And they will say, you saved others. Why can't you save yourself? You see, Jesus disrupts this girl's death only to pave the path of his own. Jesus protects his family from the harm of this crowd, knowing that, knowing that one day it won't be a family that is vulnerable. It'll be him as he's laid bare on a cross, hung on a tree, an ultimate disgrace. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves me. Jesus comes to dignify the disgrace, but this crowd does nothing but disgrace the dignified. The ultimate expression of God's kindness is his salvation in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 7 tells us this. Listen, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised him up, raised us up with Christ. And has seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Verse 7. In order that in the coming ages he might do what? He might show the incomparable riches of his grace. And how does he show this incomparable riches of his grace? Expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. So. Salvation is about God being kind, kind to you, about searching after you when you are in need, by protecting you when you are vulnerable, by calling you, giving you a new name when you are unwanted. Jesus is the ultimate expression of kindness. And so how do we get there? How do we become, how do, how do we become kind like Jesus? Well, Galatians chapter 2 I mean, Galatians chapter 5 tells us my second big point. How do we do that? Well, we have to walk in the Spirit. We have to be led by the Spirit. We have to live by the Spirit. We have to keep in step by the Spirit. We have to be aware of the Spirit of God. And how do we do that? The one word that comes to mind when I think about this is surrender. We have to surrender all things to Him. To trust Him with our very lives. Everything we have, we have to surrender Him. Our hopes, our dreams, our desires, our gifts, everything we have to surrender to Him. And bow a knee to Him. And ask Him to, to lead us by the Spirit. To be still and to know what the Spirit is doing in our lives. We must surrender all things. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross daily. We have to die to ourselves, live 
for him. How do we become kind? We surrender to the spirit of God and be led by God. But secondly, we must crucify the flesh. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. It's this picture of dying. It's the picture of running away from the flesh, being aware of it, being aware of these things, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, all these things that are present in all of our lives. And looking at those and saying, no, no more. And turning away from those and running to Jesus to repent and to run. And that's only possible if we've tasted of the kindness of Jesus. It's the kindness of Jesus that causes us to turn from our sins and to run to him. How do we become kind? Well, we surrender ultimately to the Spirit and we live lives of repentance. This week, I was in a restaurant with a friend and this couple came in and they sat down and and the woman at the table was wearing a shirt And the shirt said, choose kindness. Maybe you've experienced that recently. Our cultural moment, people know that kindness is of utmost need now. As we think about what's happening, the cruel, the mean. The unkind actions that are taking place. And I thought to myself, choose kindness. We, hear other, we see other shirts, maybe some of us wear them. Be kind, it's cool to be kind, dare to be kind. Kindness is my superpower. Give kind, kindness counts, do the kind thing. There's like this kindness revolution that's happening. But the truth is there's no way you can choose kindness. You can choose to be nice, but you can't choose to be kind because Jesus is kind. It's not that we choose kindness, it's that kindness chooses us. And kindness in Jesus Christ moves toward us and changes us from the inside out to represent him to the world, to bear this fruit, to move toward those who have need. Not only to do that, but to care for those that are are most wanted, unwanted and to protect the vulnerable. That only happens as Jesus is active in our lives. And so the question I have for you this morning is, do you know Jesus? He is kindness. That is what we need to come become a kind people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would make us a kind people. We're thankful that you have chosen us in Jesus Christ and you're committed to us to make us people that are kind Lord would you do that would you do that by your spirit would you cause us to surrender to what you're doing in our lives give us the strength to turn away from those things the flesh inside of us and to run to you so Lord Jesus the great kind one We come to you when you ask and we plead as Jairus pleaded. Would you come to this place and would you heal us and would you make us a kind people? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Our closing.
him 